what I want to do is that I want to begin my message today with a reading of the scripture. I believe that probably there are those of us who are here today who are struggling. There's got to be things going on in our lives. In fact, there's probably some things going on in your life that really have you rather anxious. Some of us may even be worried. Some of us may even have some fears as to what may be taking place for you this week or this next month or whatever the situation may be. And my prayer as I begin this final message of our series of Life After Death, I'm praying and trusting that the scriptures that I'm going to read to you found in John chapter 14 and another different area here in just a moment, that, uh, that this will give you some peace and some direction. This is what Jesus said. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father, my father has many rooms, and if that were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way and the place that I'm going. And of course, Thomas, who would doubt things every now and then, Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus says. John was sent to the island of Patmos. It was the conclusion of his life, the conclusion of his ministry. And while he was there, the Spirit of God began to speak to John and he would reveal to him of that which was to come. And let me read that to you in Revelation chapter 21, beginning with verse one. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, thank God. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and he will dwell with them. This will be, they will be his people and God himself will be their God. And what will our God do? He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death. There would be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the older things have passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. I am making everything new, he said. And then he said, write this down, for these, are words that are, these words are trustworthy and true. And those who are victorious will inherit all of this. And I will be their God and they will be our children. Thank you, Lord. Heavenly Father, as we conclude this series this morning, I pray for your blessing on all that will be said and all that would be done. And God, this is exciting and this is great news and there's chills up and down our spine because of this, but God, even greater than that, I pray for my dear brothers and sisters who are struggling today 
who are struggling in their time of life over situations in their own personal lives, in their marriages, in their kids, in their families. I pray, God, that there would be hope because you promise you're going to make all things new. And it won't always be like this. To God be the glory for this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Amen, amen, amen. Well, today, today we're going to talk a little bit more about heaven. We did part one um, last week, and we're going to do part two this week. And uh, really, most people have little clue what heaven is all about, what heaven would be like. In fact, I think that a lot of their thoughts about heaven would probably be coming out of Hollywood. I mentioned that last week too, would be coming out of Hollywood. I think that even some old timers that may be here today and maybe those who are not so old would have some thought that maybe God is something like the old George Burns. You remember him, the old George Burns, or maybe even for the younger generation for Morgan Freeman. You know, they had those thoughts of what God would be like. But the sad reality is, is that what uh, most people probably don't even have a thought or a clue behind what heaven would be like, what the Bible says about heaven. And today I want to talk a little bit more about that. I want that to go a little bit deeper for each and every one of us. You see, there's a huge misnomer out there. The misnomer is, is that a lot of people think that all that heaven is going to be is this never-ending eternal church service that's going on forever and ever. They will pick one song, they're in their robes, they're going to sing their one song for 2,000 years, and then the next 2,000 years is going to be the second song. Listen, my friend, if that's what you think heaven is, no, we're actually talking about hell if that's the way it is, because that's not the way it's going to be in heaven at all. And I do admit to you that the Bible does not say a whole lot about what heaven is really like. It doesn't give us a lot of information. And in my personal opinion, I think it's the great wisdom of God that he would not give us great revelation and complete understanding of all about eternity. Because the truth of the matter is, you and I, we have a finite mind and we're not going to be able to understand what heaven would truly be like. Why? Because it's too wonderful. It is too amazing and too spectacular. It's beyond our ability to be able to compute and to understand how heaven really is. In fact, if you look in the scriptures, 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 9, and it says, but it, as it is written, what no eye has seen nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagine what God has in store for those who love him, what God has prepared for those who love him. Our focus, our mode of operandi is right here on earth. This is all that we know at this point. This is where we've been living. This is where we think and where we live and where we move this life. We're into this life, this realm here on earth. And uh, we follow earthly standards. But the God that we have given our entire lives to is so much bigger than this world, the way that we see it right now. Some of you already know where I'm going. Some of you know already what I'm going to be saying. But he is so much bigger. He's not just mighty, but our God, he is, he is almighty. He is not just knowing, but he is an all-knowing God. He is not just uh, present with us, but he is ever-present, the Bible says. You can't run away from him. You can't hide from him. He is ever-present. In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, one of my favorite verses, I refer to this often in my messages, and it is, for my thoughts, the prophet says, my thoughts, declaring for God, are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, said the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Unless, unless the Holy Spirit gives you revelation and understanding, you're just not going to get it. 
You're not going to understand the depth and the dimension of what I'm going to try to say. I don't even understand it. But we, we just won't understand it unless the Holy Spirit helps us. In fact, David says in Psalm 139, verse 6, he says this. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain it. The things he knows of God, the things he's experienced of God, he's not able to just let it roll off his tongue to explain. He says, it's too difficult for me. There's more to it than what I could possibly ever imagine. And I want to start off by confessing right now about my message. Even though I put many hours into this, even though I've, I've done a lot of studying, a lot of time, a, a lot of um, uh, time just seeking after God with this particular message, you're going to know I'm going to fail. I'm not going to be able to deliver what you may be looking for. Because I am only a human being talking to other human beings. And there's no way that I will be able to communicate everything that we need to understand. We're going to communicate, but I don't know if we're all going to get it. But the fact of the matter is what I've asked God today, especially through our worship this morning, is that the Holy Spirit will reveal these things to you. Randy Chiz may have some words tumbling off his lips, maybe saying some things, but I pray that what, instead of what I'm saying, the Spirit of God would speak to you and you would begin to see heaven and see things beyond what I would imagine. So we're all in this together, all of us, because heaven's infinitely, indescribably better than you could ever imagine. The Bible talks about heaven being this place of joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. Joy that is unspeakable. You can't even declare it. It's unspeakable and full of glory. And as as amazing as heaven really is, I believe heaven is under attack. As amazing heaven really is, I believe heaven is under attack. And one of the reasons that most of us can't and don't get our minds wrapped around all of what heaven is is because you are under attack. I am under attack. In Isaiah chapter 14, the Bible tells us about this angel called Lucifer. And of course, he was the prince of darkness. His name is Satan. His name is the father of lies. He is the devil of hell. And at one point, one point, he had a very prominent position. He had a prominent, uh, important role that he would play in heaven. But of course, most of us know that, that he would have pride that would fill his heart. He wanted to be like God. And as a result of that, God cast him and one third of the angels out of heaven And now they are demons, and they are no longer in heaven. And since that time, Satan, the father of lies, the deceiver, the manipulator, has been been lying to humankind about God continuously. It's the assault that we're under every single day. Even right now while I'm speaking to you, there's assault that's taking place in your mind, especially, especially about eternity and about heaven. And what I want to do quickly before we get into the details of heaven, I want to give you three lies the enemy is, is, has regarding heaven. Three lies the enemy has regarding heaven. This will be quick. One of the assaults of the devil against humankind is the lie, and this is a big one. The lie is, is that there is no such thing as a real literal place called hell. There is no real literal place called hell. In John chapter 8, verse 44, the Son of God speaking, he says this to the devil, you are the father, you, you, you are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. He is a liar, John 8, 44. If we believe that, If we believe that there is no real, literal place called hell, if we believe that, then we would have little to no fear or concern about people being cast into hell. 
We would have no concern about that. God forbid. But if, there, if, if the church believes, if, but if the church believes that lie, if we the church here at Word of Life, if you the church here believe that, then we will have no sense of urgency. We're not gonna be thinking about the fact that maybe, just maybe, my great uncle or sister or brother, whoever the people may be, co-workers in your life, whoever they may be, if they don't know Jesus, there's just no ur urgency about them coming to know who Christ is. The urgency to tell people who are far from God, to tell them about the love of Jesus and the salvation that God so freely gives every single person, if you would just believe. So consequently, there will be scores and multitudes of people and again, the list is long, but I just make it quick. There would be our coworkers, they would be our, they would be our classmates in school, our neighbors, our friends, our family, who would be missing out on heaven because we're believing a lie that there, there is just, there is just um, no real place that's called hell. We're believing that lie. The second thing, the second thing, another lie that the devil gives us, Satan also wants us to believe that heaven can wait. The devil wants you and I to believe that heaven can wait. Now listen, I'm sure that there would be some who would sit back and say, okay, now maybe heaven's a good place to go someday. But listen, man, I'm only 27 years old. I'm not that old. So we can wait for heaven just a little bit longer. You know, we're, we're, no, we're in no big rush here about getting to heaven. Listen, we know many people fall into that lie. They begin to rationalize and they begin to think about these things. Because most believers are pretty happy and rather satisfied with the earth, satisfied with the life that they're living right here on this planet. And if we were to be really, really honest with one another today, our treasure is more on the earth than it is about heaven. Our treasures that we have, those things that are most important to us, our hearts, our time, our talent, our treasures, they go way more toward the things of this world than they really do of heaven. Jesus says a very pointed, some very pointed words to all of this in Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter six, verses 19 through 21. And Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where the thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I wanna make sure that you understand that what Jesus is not saying Jesus is not speaking against having material possessions. Jesus is not speaking about the fact that, that you and I would enjoy the material things of this world, the things of this world. He's not arguing that at all. But what he is addressing for each and every one of us is how, uh, how to identify what and where our, our focus really is in this life. You and I have to be thinking about that. If you're a believer and a follower, there's more to this life than just this life. There's all of eternity that is ahead of each and every one of us. The reality is, is that this life is wonderful. I don't know what you think about this life. Some days, many days, sometimes, most days, it sucks. But the fact of the matter is, so often this life is amazing. So often this life here on this planet is incredible. And it's very difficult to imagine anything else than this world that we're living in right now. In Psalm 84, verse 10, uh, David says these words. He says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Better is one day in your courts, God, than elsewhere. We're people of this world. We think of this world. We love this world. And I love this world. But this isn't all that there is. There's more to it than just this. And it's hard for us to imagine to hear David say, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. All we can think of is that that, I, I, that doesn't make sense to me. 
because of what sometimes I get to experience. I've got an amazing wife. I've got amazing kids and grandkids. I get to pastor one of the greatest churches in all the world, in my opinion. And I, to think that one day, one day in heaven is going to be greater than all of that, it's hard to comprehend. It's hard to comprehend, but it's the truth, it's a reality. And we have to live by faith and believe that. If especially you are going through struggles right now, you need to believe that God has something better. Whatever is wonderful and amazing that is here on earth, it ends. It ends. You know that. You've buried family and friends, co-workers, whoever they may be in your life. You and I know that this life here, it ends because we live in time and time ends. But with God, it never ends. Going to heaven, what's going to happen? It will never end. In Psalm 16, 11, it says, you make known to me the path of life. And you will, you will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Today, all we know are temporary pleasures. All we know is what goes on here in this life temporarily for each and every one of us. But with the God of heaven, we also are going to understand and experience these eternal, these eternal pleasures that will never fade away. We will live in this bliss. We will live in this thing that is joy unspeakable, full of glory every single day. There's no days, there's no time that we're gonna deal with in heaven. But that's the way it's going to be. Point number three, my last point on this is that another lie and assault of hell is most people wrongly believe that they are going to heaven. Most people, most individuals, most people believe, they wrongly believe that they are going to heaven. A recent study said these words, for every one person who believes that they are going to hell, I say it again, for every one person who believes that they are going to hell, there are 120 who believe that they're going to heaven. So the ratio is, the ratio is 120 to one believe that they're going to heaven. And the fact of the matter is that tells every one of us, I hope it tells you because it certainly tells me that, that uh, many, many people are greatly deceived. The enemy has lied to them. They believe that they're just going to make it to heaven. In Matthew chapter seven, listen to these words from the son of God, Jesus. He says, enter by the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life and there are few that find it. People wrongly believe that heaven is simply their default destination. People wrongly believe that heaven is their default destination. And it's not. It's not. I love you with all of my heart. But I'm telling you the truth. It's not. You're not going to automatically, grandma is not going to automatically go to heaven because she's been a nice old lady or grandpa or aunt or uncle, whoever they may be. It is not the way that it is set up within the word of God. This is very hard to talk about. This is something that I'm not excited to say to you today. But because of our sin, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And heaven is not our divine destination. My friend, if you have not been rescued or saved, if you have not yet asked Jesus Christ who was born of a virgin, who walked among us sinless, who revealed to us the love and the power and the grace of our God, who died on the cross for our sins, who rose from the dead on the third day and ascended to heaven, if you have never asked Jesus to become 
excuse me, to forgive you of your sin. Recognizing, recognizing and knowing, listen man, I've got sin and I need to be forgiven. Who do I go to? Who do I talk to? If you have never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sin, recognizing your sin and your need of a savior, and you believe that, that, through, that only through Jesus Christ that you can be saved and forgiven and be able to go to heaven. But let me go a little deeper. I wanna go a little deeper. And if you or your family or your friends have never done that, have never cried out to God, have never asked God to forgive them of their sin and to come into their life, then when they die, if you haven't done it, when you die, you're not going to heaven. They are not going to heaven. You can't have the thought that it's just gonna automatically happen. No, we all need to do the exact same thing. And the whole thing has been paid for by the Son of God for us if we would believe and if we would say that. <clears throat> if we would believe that. You see, with sin and no repentance, hell is, is our default destination. I say it again. With sin and no repentance, hell is our default destination until, until we acknowledge our need for a savior and a rescuer who is Jesus Christ, who is Jesus Christ. Hell is our final destination. But the great news, let's begin to go toward the great news. For those of us who not only believe in Jesus, but also have received Jesus into our lives, who have made Jesus to become the Lord and leader of their lives, who Jesus becomes our everything. He becomes our everything. According to the Bible, according to the word of God, our destination then is set for heaven. Our destination is for heaven, receiving what Jesus has done every one of us. So what happens to us when we die? What happens within to us one minute after we die? At that moment, our eternal destination is irrevocably fixed and eternally unchanged. I say it again. One second after you die, your last breath, your last heartbeat, our eternal destination is irrevocably fixed and eternally unchanged. Your eternal destination is either heaven, and hallelujah for that, or it's hell. Or it's hell. And listen, there is no purgatory. There is no purgatory that's alive from hell. It is not in the Bible. There is no purgatory. The devil is a liar. If it is, if it is hell that we end up, to, end up going, you end up going to, or whoever they may be, you will be facing your first glimpse of despair, darkness, aloneness, and hopelessness. A lot of people don't know this but it's found within the scriptures. In hell, there are no relationships. There, are, there is no family or friends or community. In fact, one of the primary sets of imagery of hell involves exclusion from others. You will be all alone forever and ever and ever, never with another person. You will never be with another person at all. But... If your final, final destination is heaven, oh my. Listen, one minute after you die with that, yes, your family and friends are gonna be weeping over your loss. They're gonna be weeping over that because they don't want you to go and they love you very much and all that good stuff. But, but you'll find yourself in a brand new surrounding. This is beyond your imagination, what God has in store for us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you need to read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the whole thing. Please read that. Uh, it's incredible because the Apostle Paul tells us in that, that at that moment, you will receive a glorified body. You're going to receive a glorified body. It happens in the twinkling of an eye. 
Not, uh, it's not the same body that goes into the grave. It's not what you see right here. This is my shell. This shell is going to be gone. It's going to become dust. And I'm going to become, I'm going to have a brand new body. That, that body in the grave, of course, that's only temporary. But the Bible tells us we're going to get a heavenly body. We're going to have a supernatural body. It's not going to be natural any longer. It's going to be supernatural, a glorified body. With Jesus, he had his glorified body. After he rose from the dead and came back, he walked through doors that were locked. He walked through walls and, and, uh, and nothing could hold him back. No more of this broken, frail, decaying body. We're going to get a brand new body. Come on, let's give the Lord a round of applause. He's a good God. He really is. So let me begin by telling you what is not in heaven. What is not in heaven? We find in Revelation 21, verse four, it says these words, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the older things has passed away. That is such good news. So in heaven, let me tell you what's not in heaven. <coughs> What's not in heaven? In heaven, there are no handkerchiefs, tissues, or Kleenex. Why? Because there's no more tears or sorrow. In fact, God will wipe away every tear from our eyes, the Bible tells us. There's going to be no, in heaven, there are no funeral homes, no caskets or cemeteries or uh, funeral directors. Why? Because there's no more death in heaven. Now, we have a funeral director in our church by the name of uh, Matt Vincentini. He does a great job. Matt, I don't know if you're here or not, but my brother, you're working yourself out of a job. Sometime soon, not too soon, down the road a little bit, you're going to be in heaven, you're going to be out of a job because there's no more funeral, no more need for funeral directors. There's going to be no more car wrecks or motorcycle wrecks. There's not going to be any more plane or train crashes. Ships that would be sinking will never happen again. When we get to heaven, none of that will ever happen again. There will be no drugstores or prescriptions, hospitals or emergency rooms. We have no needs of doctors, no need for doctors then. We need you now, doctors and nurses, all of you, we need you right now. But we won't need you to have your, your job that you have in heaven. No more home health aids. There's going to be no more dentists. Come on, give the Lord of a shout there. No more dentists. Hallelujah. <laughs> Chiropractors or therapists, uh, psychiatrists or counselors. There's no more need for crutches or wheelchairs or braces. The Bible says there shall be no more pain in heaven. No more pain. Revelation 21, 4. There's going to be no more painkillers or chemotherapy or morphine or mind-altering drugs. There will be no more heart attacks or strokes or cancer or brain, in, uh, uh, brain how do you say it, neurism? Whatever they said, you're not going to have it anymore. Or arthritis. Never again to see a son or a daughter, a mother or a father, a brother or a sister who are suffering. You will never see that again in heaven. It will never happen. There will be no pain. There will be no sorrow. Never again. Will you see the fearful or the cowardly or the weak or the insecure? No longer will there be naysayers or negative or, or pessimistic or fearful people living among us. Only, uh, uh, only, our, uh, only overcomers who have a true story to tell. There will be no unbelievers. Only those who believe faith and, uh, filled with faith and confidence will be in heaven. There will be no more 
Uh, no more atrocities or disgrace that would be taken. None, none of the uh, polluted opinions or ideology or ideas of this broken, sin-filled world is going to be in heaven. There shall be no more murders, no more thieves. In fact, they're going to be gone. They're not going to be there, not going to be around. And that means that you and I can live in our mansions in heaven, in our homes in heaven, with the doors unlocked, if you would like. You have nothing to fear at all. There will be no sexual immorality, no perverts, uh, no children molesters, no rapists or kidnappers or pedophiles. There will be no sorceries or idolatries. There will be no witchcraft, no practicing of black magic, no incantations or mystery, uh, mystic uh, mutterings. There will be no, no longer superstitions, practice of occult or display of evil. Devils, demons will be gone. There will be no liars, no more deception, no more uh, half-truths or inconsist- inconsistencies. There will be only heaven. There will only be those things in heaven The only things that will be in heaven is some of the things that my wife, Marianne, my beautiful wife, come on up here, Marianne. She's going to be talking about what is in heaven. What is in heaven? Hello, my love. There is is no way I can talk as fast as he does. (laughs) I have been reading some testimonies and stories out of Imagine Heaven by John Burke. I'm encouraging you again, if you want to read stories, if you want to hear near-death experiences, this is a sound book that you can read. And I will add one last thing that I said in the beginning when I began uh, sharing out of this book. I do think this is one of the best books that is out there. He's um, investigated thousands and thousands of stories. And I'll say what my old daddy used to say. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. So if you read one little something in here and it just doesn't, uh, you don't get it or it doesn't feel right, don't throw the whole book out is all I'm asking. Today I'm just going to read the most beautiful place imaginable. I'm going to give you a testimony of a captain, uh, a pilot. His name is Dale Black. Here's his story. Uh, Dale Black has logged 17,000 hours flying around the globe as a commercial airline pilot. During that time, he has also volunteered on almost 1,000 flights to 50 countries building orphanages, medical clinics, and churches in order to share God's love with people in need. Captain Black says his motivation comes from a horrible airline accident that happened to him and what he saw and what happened to him that changed his life. By the age of 19, he already had his pilot's license, and Chuck and Gene, commercial pilots who had taken Dale under their wings, kindly let Dale fly with them on delivery runs across California. On one fateful day, the three of them took off in a twin-engine Piper Navajo into a clear Los Angeles sunny sky. Gene throttled till maximum takeoff power, but suddenly they found themselves airborne and at abnormally slow speed. Unable to clear the tops of the trees, Gene veered off directly into a 75-foot high aviation monument. The plane disintegrated all in a second. The plane smashed into a stone effidus of 130 miles per hour and then plunged 75 feet to the ground. And only Dale survived. Well, sort of. And here's his story. The last thing I remembered was the sight of Chuck's hands on the controls, violently wrenching the flight controls fully left and fully back. And suddenly I found myself suspended in midair, hovering over the wreckage and my own body. My gray pants and short sleeve shirt were torn to shreds and everything was soaked in blood. 
I sped through what appeared to be a narrow pathway. It wasn't a tunnel of light that I was traveling through. It was a path in the darkness that was, that was sparkling of light. At this time, accompanying me were two angelic escorts dressed in seamless white garments that were woven with silver threads. I was fast approaching a magnificent city. It was golden and gleaming among a myriad of resplendent colors. The light I saw was the purest I had ever seen, and the music was the most majestic, enchanting, and glorious that my ears had ever heard. I was still approaching the city, but now I was slowing down. I knew instantly that this place was entirely and utterly holy. Don't ask me how I knew. I just knew. I was overwhelmed by its beauty. It was breathtaking, and a strong sense of belonging filled my heart. I never wanted to leave this place. Somehow I knew that I was made for this place, and this place had been made for me. The entire city was bathed in light, an opaque whiteness in which the light was intense, but it was diffused. In that dazzling light, every color imaginable seemed to exist. The colors seemed to be alive, like they were dancing in the air. I had never seen so many different colors. The closer I got to the city, the more distinct the illumination became. The magnificent light I was experiencing emanated from about 40 or 50 miles from in the city walls, a focal point that was brighter than the sun. And oddly, it didn't make me squint when I looked at it and all I wanted to do was look at it. Somehow I knew that the light and life and love were connected and they were interrelated. Remarkably, the light didn't shine on things, but it shined through things, through the grass, through the trees, through the wall, and through the people who were gathered there. There was a huge gathering of angels and people, millions, countless millions. They were gathered in a central area that seemed over 10 miles wide. The expanse of people was closer to an ocean than it was of a concert hall. I was outside the city, slowly moving toward its wall, suspended a few hundred feet above the ground, and the road began to narrow and led to an entrance in the wall, which led into the city. I moved effortlessly along the road, escorted by my two angelic guides on what seemed to be a divine schedule. Below me lay the purest, most perfect grass, precisely the right length, and not a blade that was bent or even out of place. It was the most vibrant green I had ever seen. If a color could be said to be alive, the green was alive, slightly transparent and, and emitting light and life from every single blade. The iridescent grass stretched endlessly over gently rolling hills, upon which sprinkled of the most colorful wildflowers. In the distance stood a range of mountains, majestic in appearance, as if they reigned over the entire landscape. These were not mountains you wanted to conquer. These were mountains you wanted to revere. The road was only wide enough now for two people and followed the contours of the hills. And then it began sloping upward toward the huge wall that encircled the city. And next, I heard the faint sound of water rushing in the distance. Between the central part of the city and the city walls were groupings of brightly colored, picture-perfect homes in small, quaint towns. Each home was customized and unique from the others, yet they blended harmoniously. Some were three and four stories tall, and some were even higher, but there were no two that were exactly the same.
The city wall stretched out to my left and right as far as I could see in both directions. A powerful light permeated the wall and you could see all the colors of the rainbow in it. My eyes were next drawn to a river that stretched from the gathering area in the middle of the city to the wall. It flowed toward the wall and it seemed to end there, at least from my vantage point. The river was perfectly clear with bluish white hue. The light didn't shine on the water but mysteriously shone within it somehow. As I described previously, the grass, the sky, the walls, the houses, everything was more beautiful in heaven than I ever dreamed anything could ever be. So, my church family, I ask you, what would possess a veteran commercial airline pilot to make up such a far-fetched tale? Or even more confounding, all the hundreds and thousands of people that John Burke has interviewed, doctors, airline pilots, professors, surgeons, if they made up these stories, their credibility, their professional credibility would be in the tank. So, the scriptures have always described just such a beautiful place, more beautiful than we can imagine. And near-death experiencers attest that Earthly realities are derived from heaven's counterparts. I'm going to say that one again. Earthly realities are derived from heaven's counterparts. We're able to better imagine heaven when we realize that all that we love about this earth is merely a shadow of the greater reality to come, a beautiful place made just for us. Would you stand to your feet? Could I have the worship team come on out, please? Everybody come on out. <clears throat> I'm not going to be able to conclude my message, and that's okay. We'll do it another time. I think it's incredible. What you just heard is incredible. Those are all things that are, what we talked about today are things that are not in heaven and things that are in heaven, and it's incredible. Scripturally, as you know, there's a city. We talked, Marianne's story is about that city that is there. Uh, there's just many things, but the greatest of all, the greatest of everything that is there, Greater than all of this, all of the magnificence and all the beauty and the splendor and all those colors. The magnificence is God himself dwells there. This is who we go to be with for the rest of eternity. That we will be with our God and there will be no fear. There will be no issues, no problems. I'm going to ask if you would please bow your heads and just close your eyes just for a moment. If you're here today and something's been stirring in you since the very moment you walked onto this property or came into this building... And you're just sensing that, you know, maybe, just maybe, God's real. Maybe the things of God I should consider a little bit more than I ever had before. My friend, I don't know what tomorrow's going to hold for you. I don't know what tomorrow holds for me. But you need to know Jesus today. So while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I want this to be a private moment. I'd like to have you make a decision that maybe today is the day you would give your life to Jesus. I'm going to pray a simple prayer and if that's what you want to pray, if you want to receive Christ into your life, you're not joining Word of Life Church. You don't ever have to come back here again if you don't want to. That's not, that's not our motive here. Our motive is, is that you would know Jesus in a very wonderful way. So if you would desire to do that, I'm going to pray a simple prayer, and I want you to say it with me. I want you to whisper it. I want you to say it with your lips moving, or you can say it aloud, however you want to say it. But let it be something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've messed up. And I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm asking you to become the Lord and leader of my life today. 
In Jesus' name I pray. And Father, I know that there are those who have made that decision today. And I pray for them. I pray that God, right now, those of us who walked into this room who had no salvation, who were not completely forgiven of our sin, now are. Those who have prayed that prayer and who are moving toward God, their sin is forgiven as far as the east is from the west. And I thank you for that today. Well, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you prayed that prayer with me, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. Would you just lift up your hand? I just want to agree with you on your decision. I'm looking to my far left. Those of you who did that, thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Are there others? Thank you in the back. Thank you, too. Appreciate it. Any more on my right side? Give me a wave. Thank you. Thank you. Are there others? Thank you over here in the back. I appreciate it. Father God, for these many who have made decisions today for Christ, we give you the glory in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. We're